Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is our final Catholic Baltimore show on WCBM. We are your hosts. We have been your host for the last couple of years. I'm Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. And I'm George Matisek, also of the Catholic Review and the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We'd like to thank the Radio Mass of Baltimore for sharing its time slot with us for the last five and a half years so that we can bring news and information to you. For today's show, we're going to look back at a handful of our favorite guests and share a bit of those shows with you. Think of it as a sitcom going off the air after a long run and having a flashback episode before the final curtain. George, we don't have a studio of our own, so what are some of the challenges you've come across as we've recorded these shows over the years? Well, there, there have been a few challenges. Uh, one of the, the best things I liked about the show was having the opportunity to go out into the field. I remember covering something with Bishop Madden where he does prayer walks and visits sites along a, a church where there's been violence or murders. And it was really great to get out into the community and talk to people. But once the pandemic struck, we all started ha- having to work from home. And so uh, everything was remote. So I started actually recording my interviews from my car because I have five kids at home and it gets noisy. So that's been a challenge for me is uh, I've been using my phone and a phone app sitting in my car as my studio to do the interviews. So that's been a big challenge. That's great. I was in Rome with with Archbishop Lori and some ecumenical leaders, interfaith leaders from Baltimore a few years ago. And we did some of our interviews along the streets of, of Rome. And as you can imagine, that was a little bit noisy, but it was really nice to kind of almost have the flavor of, of the city going along with us. And a couple of years ago, I was interviewing Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagle, who was in town for a, a conference. And we were in a, a hotel meeting room uh, near downtown. And during the interview, a fire truck and an ambulance came roaring by with their sirens blasting. So we had to stop re-record that part and go from there so it's just yeah without a real studio it's been a little bit hard to do this i had a similar uh, situation i was recording an interview with dr bob wicks who's a clinical psychologist and right outside my car window some kids started playing basketball i had to get out of the car and ask them to take a break for 15 20 minutes so we could get the interview done that's great well we're going to share with you some of our favorite clips and we'll be back at the end of the show Father Chuck Canterna has been a prison chaplain for many years and ministered to men on death row in Maryland. In 2005, he counseled Wesley Baker prior to Baker's execution. Here's a little bit of my interview with Father Chuck where he talks about receiving Wesley Baker into the Catholic Church and being with him at his execution. But the climax came about four or five days, a little less than a week before he was to be executed. Cardinal Keeler, in the midst of tremendous opposition of people being outside. They were all protesting against the death penalty. Cardinal Keeler came into the prison to visit with Wesley Baker. And it was Wesley, myself, and Cardinal Keeler. The Cardinal came in, opened up the Bible, and read John 6. And you have to remember now, it's been almost six weeks of prayer, of testimony, of him opening his life, of him wanting to get close to God. 
and the Cardinal just hit the nail on the head by reading certain parts of John 6 about eternal life and what you need for eternal life. And at the end of, Car of the Cardinal reading from John 6, Wesley looks at, the, looks at the Cardinal and says, I want that. And the Cardinal looks at me and says, okay, Father Chuck, you take care of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, holy cats, I mean, this guy's not even Catholic. So I come in the next day and Wesley says, well, where is it? You know, I said, well, well, wait a minute. You haven't even gone to confession. What, I've taught, I said, you haven't gone to confession, Wesley. You gotta begin. He says, confession? I just talked to you for six weeks about my life. I told you about everything. That's not a confession. I said, oh yeah, it is, it is. So, and, and when he says, where is it? He was referring to the Eucharist. Yes, right? the Eucharist. Could you remind our listeners what John 6 says? Well, it says, if you wish to have eternal life, you must have the bread of life. And the bread of life is Jesus Christ, and you must receive it. If you have the bread of life, it brings you eternal life. And without the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, you cannot have eternal life. I'm just paraphrasing that. Mm -hmm. Was he received into the church? Yes. After much prayer on my part and listening to him, he was uh, received into the church two days before he was uh, to be executed. And the day before execution, I gave him communion mm -hmm. for the first time. We have had Baltimore Archbishop William Lurie as a guest on Catholic Baltimore several times. In a show at the beginning of 2020, we talked about his family. His dad died about eight weeks after we recorded this segment. You've got some interesting uh, personal things coming up, especially in the early part of the year. Your mother turns 100. Mm -hmm. Your dad is a youngster at 98. Mm -hmm. What's their example been like for you? Well, first of all, I'm so grateful to God to have both of my parents uh, at this stage of my own life. And mom and dad have been just such beautiful parents. I am so grateful to God that he saw fit to plop me into this particular family. Mom and dad um, worked hard their life. They were members of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. Dad is a veteran of World War II. He was on a, in the Navy on an LST near Okinawa with kamikazes overhead. His ship was full of ammunition. He saw some pretty tough action, and God bless my dad. Uh, came back and with married my dear mom. He was 26, she was 27 when they got married. That was considered old back then. We are not a wealthy family, we are a hardworking family and they provided a beautiful, loving, faithful home. I had a brother with special needs. I saw my mom and dad not just go the extra mile, they went the extra five miles. And they loved my brother till he died several years ago with truly tender parental love. And they provided a good, beautiful, secure home for me and my other brother, Joe, and encouraged me in my priestly vocation. And to this day, I receive encouragement whenever I talk to my parents. Dad does not hear very well, so talking to him on the phone is not easy, but I do talk to my mom every day. And uh, mom is still checking up on her son, <laughs> and uh, as well as she should. 
And uh, once again, I just can't say how grateful I am to have them both. During the Second World War, there were a lot of unsung heroes. They included Catholic clergy imprisoned in the Dachau concentration camp. In 2018, I interviewed Eileen Lyon, a historian, about those heroes. Here she is talking about how Polish clergy imprisoned at Dachau volunteered to minister to typhoid victims. At the very end of the life of the camp in 1945, the camp was struck by a virulent typhus epidemic, and the Polish priests had asked for permission to minister in the typhus blocks because the, the nurses and I mean, and this is not a high-quality hospital. You know, this is really, you went to the infirmary to die. There, mm. there was not any, what we would consider, really valid medical care there. But they were so short-handed there, there was uh, the offer by the Polish priests, and that offer was accepted. And so Georg Schelling, an Austrian priest who was actually the dean of Dachau, Dachau had been elevated to the status of a deanery by Archbishop Fallhaber. And they had a special mass on February 11th, 1945, during which, or just before which uh, the dean addressed the priests and said that there was permission granted for the priests to go and minister in the typhus isolation blocks. And he wanted each priest to consider that, whether they wanted to offer themselves for that. And this was a really, really difficult decision because even if you think of it in terms of which is the which is the greater sacrifice to minister in these typhus isolation blocks with a pretty high likelihood that you would contract typhus or to try and rebuild the church after the Second World War. And this was going to be a tremendous task, both in terms of the, the infrastructure, but more crucially in terms of the spiritual life of the church after coming through this, this horrific period. But there were many priests who actually offered themselves to go and minister in the typhus blocks. And 18 priests were chosen to go and minister in the typhus block. And of those 18, they all contracted typhus and only two survived. Bishop Bob Barron is probably one of the greatest Catholic thinkers of our time, known for his Word on Fire ministry and Catholicism video series. We went to college seminary together. I talked with my old classmate about atheists, particularly those who are aggressive toward believers in this Catholic Baltimore segment. You talked about that anger there, and, and there's kind of always been some mean atheists out there. Christopher Hitchens, of course, would have been one of those. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who just simply attack believers in faith simply because they believe in a God, in a yeah. greater God. They emphasize free thinking as though you can't think freely and be religious. Why do you think yeah. that combination comes across? Well, you know, part of the problem, Chris, is, is us. We met the enemy and it's us. And what I mean is, you know, after the council, you know this very well, and not because of the council. The council was super smart in its articulation. But we tended to dumb down Catholicism. We tended to mute our very rich intellectual tradition. And as a result, a lot of Catholics didn't have the means to defend themselves when atheism emerged in this new way after 9-11, which is a, a, a important part of the story. But Catholics weren't able to do it. And that's a real tragedy, you know. And so the idea that you can't be intelligent, you can't think on your own and be religious, 
Well, tell that to Thomas Aquinas. Tell that to Augustine. Tell that to Karl Rahner. Tell that to John Paul II. I mean, we have such a rich intellectual tradition, but we didn't pass it on well, in my judgment, to our younger Catholics. And that was part of the problem. We've got people out there who, you know, maybe sitting in the pews on Sundays, and they have a friend who is atheist or agnostic, maybe isn't sure there's a God or not. How would you recommend somebody approach a person like that with information about God, about Catholicism? Where do you start? Pope Francis is really good here, I think, is the starting point might not be intellectual right off the bat. The starting point might be friendship and trust, you know, and so... For someone to see a religious person as a good, decent person and is obviously smart, that helps a, that goes a long way. So if the view is, oh, religious people are just, you know, they're old um, fuddy-duddies or they're, they're stupid and they're hypocritical, so I'm not going to pay attention. The first step can be just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a decent, smart, nice person, and, and I'm, I'm reaching out to you. That's maybe the most important step, certainly the most important first step, then I think you listen. And the Pope is also very good here. Don't presume you know what the person needs to hear. Something I found, Chris, dealing with younger people in my Internet work is there's so many textures of, of non-belief. Do you know what I mean? Everything mm-hmm. from, oh, I'm kind of vaguely wondering about it to I'm aggressively opposed to it and everything in between. What's the person's background? What's their experience of religion? When did they first start having trouble with it? What are their own objections and questions? See, so the second step, I think, is is that kind of patient listening. Think of, you know, the great model here, by the way, is the road to Emmaus story, right? Yeah, Jesus one of my favorite, just one of my favorite accounts in the scripture. Yeah, and it's so good on this issue because he first just walks with them. You know, he's not imposing anything. He's not proselytizing, he's not uh, evangelizing, he's just walking in fellowship. But then that wonderful moment when, in, with kind of sly irony, you know, oh, we, you know, we're talking about what happened in Jerusalem, and oh, really, tell me what, what happened in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's listening to them, he listens. But then it's very interesting, because at a decisive moment, Jesus gets pretty sharp and directive, and he says, you fools, how slow you are to understand, didn't you realize, right? And then he goes through, it looks like a pretty long apologetic, and he explains himself against the backdrop of the Old Testament, right? So to me, it's a great model of how you would do it. A lot of trust building, walking with, patient listening, but then the moment. And you say, okay, I got something to say. I got something to tell you. Having heard you and your life and your questions, here's a response from our great tradition. I think that's, that's the way you do it. Father Paul Scalia, son of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, preached at his father's funeral mass. I asked Father Scalia about that experience in a 2019 interview. Many people in our audience will probably know that your father was the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and you gave the homily at his funeral, and I, I think you surprised a lot of people by you didn't speak too much about his specific accomplishments as you spoke on the theme of Christ yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why did you decide to preach in that manner? Well, first of all, because uh, that's the instruction of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that uh, in, in the funeral rite, the instruction is, you know, it, it, the topic is Jesus Christ. 
And it's, it's not to be a eulogy. And second of all, the reason for that instruction is that a funeral is a time to pray for the deceased. And, uh, and if we just praise, praise the deceased instead of praying for him, th then we do him a disservice. And um, the, the funeral is a time to reflect on God and, and to praise God and to pray for the deceased, not to praise the deceased and forget God, right. <laughs> uh, which is what happens in a lot of cases. And honestly, I mean, why else are we going to be at a funeral except that, except that the deceased had imperfections and needs to be prayed for and that God is glorified in calling down his mercy upon, upon the one who's died. And God is glorified when we reflect on what he's done for the person who's died. That, that's, that's why we're there. Uh, and, if, and if that's not the case, then it's, it's, it's much ado about nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> So well, yeah, and and you know honestly, at my funeral, I hope you know I hope the person you know <laughs> doesn't talk about any of my accomplishments, right? <laughs> because you know, listen, my father, my father accomplished a great deal, but none of them will get to, get him into heaven. None of them. <laughs> he wrote some great opinions. Not one of them, and not all of them together, will get him into heaven. What gets him into heaven is the mercy of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite exchanges was from a more recent show an interview with Catholic musician and songwriter Matt Marr, whom I have known since the late 1990s when we sang together at our parish in Arizona. I asked Matt about his song, White Flag, that talks about surrender to God. Do you find that surrender to be difficult, surrender to God? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, extremely. Um, it, uh, I... I feel I feel like an actor sometimes in a movie where it's like you do a scene and they're like cut cut okay do it again do it again we didn't quite get it right There's something wrong with the lighting or there's just your performance was a little flat and sometimes I feel like that's what that's what the daily surrender of a Christian uh, must look like to God uh, keep trying you'll get it right yeah sometimes. you know it's like we're stuck in Groundhog Day um, so I you know I think yeah. I, the reality of of how surrender becomes so clearly defined in specific moments and instances in our life, and I almost feel like you have the memory of those to to give you encouragement to keep going, but then they also sort of stand, I think, as a testimony to your own hypocrisy or your own humanity when you find yourself just enmeshed in failure, and they sort of stand there and and you're kind of staring at it and going. Well, I, I guess I didn't mean it, but I think, I think what you do is you sort of arrive at the fact that you're like, I meant it then. And that's all that I had. All I had was the moment yeah. of, of now. And so in this now I surrender. And that's why surrender needs to be daily because my surrender in the past, I'm not Christ. So my sacrifices don't cover for all of eternity. Um, Good point. You know what I mean? They, they are temporal, and so, you know, they need to be daily. Dr. Robert Wicks, a clinical psychologist, spoke with Catholic Baltimore earlier this year about dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. I asked him the question about being angry with God. Dr. Wicks, I think this is a time when people are both turning to God for support and answers, but also turning away from God out of fear or even doubt or some sort of anger. How can people maintain their relationship or renew their relationship with God when they are under so many pressures these days? Mm, that's a good question. I See, I see it slightly differently. When, when people seem to be turning away, they may be turning to 
a deeper sense of God, like anger at God, like why did you allow this to happen, shows a sign of vitality in the person. I mean, there's a connection. You don't get really angry at somebody that, that, that you, there's no connection with. So I, I see that really, and the whole feeling that they have about, about religion as really being an opening. You know, a, a number of years ago, a well-known writer and spiritual director asked to see me. When she came in, she shared that she was having panic attacks. So I set up weekly mentoring sessions for her. And when she came in for her third visit, I suggested, you know, that instead of having the meeting in the office, we walk around the lake outside. And my sense was that the beauty and activity while we were walking and talking together would sort of put her in a more at ease and, and so that she'd be free to let go and go deeper into what was behind her fears. And halfway through the walk, she suddenly stops on the path and turns to me abruptly. And she asks me, and I remember a hoarse voice, will these panic attacks ever go away? And in return, I looked straight into her eyes, smiled and calmly replied, oh, without a doubt, that's not the problem. And I could see from the expression on her face that she was taken off guard. And finally, she found the words to ask, well, what exactly is the problem? And in response, I said to her, the true challenge is that before the panic disappears, whether you can take advantage of the time you are feeling so vulnerable by seeing yourself and life and God more deeply and in new ways before things return to normal. So I think the same can be said about, you know, a pandemic. You know, I think that, that things will return to some level of normal. And when they return, will we still have a profound appreciation of the fact that life is fragile? We're going to die. That relationships matter. That simplicity can allow us to extract wonder from the joy of the quote-unquote little things. And that silence and solitude and wrapped in gratitude before God can really be a setting for deeper understanding and a sense of faith in something, for most of us, God, in a way that really deepens the way we live, the way we relate to ourselves, and the way we relate to others. On behalf of Chris Gunty, this is George Matisek. Thank you once again for listening to Catholic Baltimore. This was our last show. For more information about what we're going to be doing in the future on radio, visit catholicreview.org. Again, that's catholicreview.org. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, 
fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>